our first results showed that the, um, the south seems to demineralize the bone uh, independently of the level we give during lactation. There is an hormonal regulation, so they demineralize a little bit. So we have to, we have to recover during the next gestation. But um, we are not sure they will always recover. So the, for sure, one of the strategies is really to maximize the bone for uh, the, the guilt. Uh, this is uh, something that it's, we have work on, on that aspect also uh, to see what are the levels that maximize the bone. A whole new era of communication in the Canadian swine industry is coming. Now you have the brightest minds of the Canadian and global swine industry right in your pocket. And what's best? You can listen to all of them while driving to a farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. The Swinet Podcast Show Canada is only possible with the support and trust of innovative companies like Swine Veterinary Partners comprises four well-established clinics across Canada. Precision Veterinary Services, Premier SHP, Demeter Veterinary Services, and Demeter Services Veterinaries. Our nutrition group includes four companies, Nutrition Athena, Shakespeare Mill, Farmhouse, and Nutrition Partners, which serve swine producers all across Canada. AX3 Digest is a highly digestible source of protein with a low level of potassium, giving young animals a healthy start. Welcome to the Swinet Podcast Show Canada, a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting-edge insights and everything that's working in the Canadian and global swine industry. Swine Veterinary Partners offers a full range of animal health and production services to Canadian pork producers. We approach health management through personalized solution with concern for profitability while taking into account performance and the well-being of your animals. Welcome, everybody, to today's uh, Swine in Canada podcast. I am Dan Columbus, your host uh, for today's episode. And with me today, I have Dr. Marie-Pierre Letourneau-Mamini from uh, the University of Laval, or Laval University, I should say. Uh, and she's in a, a professor in the Department of Animal and Poultry Science there. So welcome, uh, Marie-Pierre, and thank you for coming on. Thank you. Um, so... Since our audience might not be familiar with you, or some people might not be, I just ask you to uh, maybe introduce yourself and, uh, and speak a little bit to your, your journey so far in, in the world of agriculture and research. I did the, my baccalaureate in agronomy, so uh, in Laval University with a specialization on animal uh, science. Um, I quickly began to do uh, research um, on um, slurry management first, and then I move quickly to feed formulation uh, with Candido Pomar uh, on, uh, on phosphorus uh, quickly at the end of the baccalaureate. Then I um, decide to move in France uh, because there was here the moratorium on uh, mostly based because of the phosphorus uh, excretion. Uh, so, and in uh, Brittany, there is a lot of researcher that uh, working on that aspect. So I moved to France and find a master um, project. So I did the master entirely in France and then I come back for a dual degree. So the both graduation in Laval University and AgroParisTech in Paris, um, where I did uh, poultry 
and uh, swine uh, topics. So continuing on phosphorus um, with different aspects, and I continue to do this. So uh, nutrition trial, so on phosphorus and calcium digestibility, phytase, uh, meta-analysis that I learned during the, the master and PhD uh, with my director, Daniel Sovan, that is uh, that was specialized on that aspect, and also mechanistic modeling. Uh, so I, I continue with these three tools uh, in, uh, in research. Um, so, and then I come back to Canada officially and do a postdoc uh, on precision phosphorus feeding uh, with uh, Candido Pomar uh, before integrating Laval University. Very interesting. I guess Candido keeps popping up in a, in a lot of our <laughs> host's history uh, so far. So, but I think it's, you know, that's the way things are going, like you said, with precision uh, feeding. And, you know, obviously we need to look at multiple nutrients when we're going to look at that. So I guess that's a, a good lead in maybe to the, the work that you've been doing and some of the information that you found specifically, like you said, with calcium and phosphorus, and you've uh, continued to do that. So maybe uh, start delving into to that, that topic and, and what, you know, what you've been working on and, and what that means to you. Yeah. Um, so during the PhD, um, I work especially on phytase. So the interaction between uh, calcium and phosphorus and phytase. At that time, there was a recommendation to reduce a lot the calcium when we apply phytase. So we work on that aspect with the BASF. Um, and we were able to give recommendation to, yes, it's important to reduce the excess of calcium, but it's important for bone also. So we manage um, looking at the information in the literature, doing some experiments, comparing swine and poultry on that aspect. So after that, I continue on uh, requirement, uh, especially for uh, phosphorus uh, with a more mechanistic approach than um, empirical or face feeding so i continue to work on that aspect uh, in swine where we are well advanced in comparison to the broilers where there is not a lot of modeling it's really empirical uh, so i do a lot of work in uh, broilers to fine-tune the the phosphorus level and calcium also so this is part of my research uh, with a final aim of sustainability uh, that is the driven of my research here in Laval. So my position is on sustainability and nutrition. So um, I have this phosphorus where I'm an expert, but I also do nitrogen, um, fiber, uh, everything to increase the efficiency of the animal, focusing on nutrition. So uh, other enzymes than phytase. So uh, um requirement a bit on amino acid and uh, yeah i think sustainability is obviously something i mean that that's been a keyword since i did my my graduate training and everything and i and i think it's interesting you know to go back to uh the basics of sustainability means also you know the phosphorus and calcium and nitrogen i know the big thing right now is greenhouse gases and looking at that production but especially in in our non-ruminant animals you know it's 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 all of these nutrient outputs that that might have, if if not more, of an impact on sustainability. 
So is there, um, so getting back to your research, are there like key um, findings or studies that you've done that you maybe want to highlight or find particularly interesting? Um, in broilers, we have showed that it's possible to reduce a lot the phosphorus supply while reducing calcium. Because calcium has a real negative effect, it will uh, combine with phosphorus in the digestive tract and reduce the absorption of phosphorus. It can bind with the, the phytate and reduce the efficiency of phytase. Um, so this is uh, an important point. Uh, and uh, in, in Europe, especially, they have reduced a lot uh, the phosphorus in that way. Uh, and it's now really interesting with the increasing price of phosphate. Um, in, in North America, it's coming. Uh, we work a lot with, uh, for example, uh, Rosalina Engel on calcium, uh, try to convince that it's important to reduce calcium and to better control at the feed meal, uh, because this is a point we always have more calcium than expected in a poultry or swine diet. So, and this aspect come from the, the feed meal also. So, uh, I think it's, important this aspect to continue to uh, to show the the importance of that and especially in broilers the high calcium will also affect the liter moisture the broilers will uh, drink more water and so this point is critical in in broilers so um, i think this aspect of calcium is uh, something that we we work a lot on and as impact on on the in the field yeah, it, it all relates back to that precision and really finding out how much we have to put in. But the the interactions is really what's leading to it. it I wonder, you know, with calcium and phosphorus, but with other nutrients, it's you know, how much is related to you. We would, we've been putting in extra, but it's it's masked the effect that we that you know and, and and our ability to actually pick that up and and so we can reduce a lot of these things, like you said, if we account for that interaction and maybe the negative effect of something else. Yeah, and I think we use a lot by the past ratios between, for calcium, for example, we use a ratio. We don't have real calcium requirement. We use a ratio because we don't want too much, but I think it's also important to have information of the requirement of these nutrients that sometimes are um, not as regard as those that are expensive or environmental. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a reality. Things get interest if they cost money or, or if there's le a legislation, right, that is put in place that has to limit it. You know, I think you mentioned in your in before this, uh, you know, the, the moratorium in, in Manitoba and stuff like that and the impacts that that had, you know, on, on really what, what can we do with all of this? So it. it it, it, it's interesting to me with phosphorus too, or e even with phytases and stuff like that, because it's like, there's so much research out there that you think, okay, well, what else is there to, to know, <laughs> you know, but clear, clearly, you know, there, there's so much more that we can learn and whether the, you know, what, what's going on with here. And these products, especially phytase has been really improved uh, since the, the end of the year, uh, the end of the 90s so they are they double their efficiency so they have more impact on cation for example for calcium probably zinc uh, copper so there is new research to do on these <laughs> quite usual product now yeah it almost makes me want to go back and do my master's project over again because i did five days way back when and 
2008. Yeah. <laughs> and we didn't, yeah, we didn't yeah. really see as much as we hoped. But <laughs> yeah. um, so you, you mentioned, and I think this is an interesting part, you know, when we're talking about the precision feeding and working with uh, Candido. So have you done, you know, studies and, and work in developing that model to kind of predict, you know, over time and, and, and adapting that, that the calcium and the phosphorus supply for that, you know, daily requirement? Yeah. Uh, for the moment, we have the daily requirement. Uh, we use a bit our, we validate our model with face feeding because it's also a point. So mm -hmm. we have daily requirement, but either we use, uh, if we want to use this new knowledge, we have to apply in face feeding. And um, I did also a lot of work on the capacity of the animal to adapt to low calcium and phosphorus diet. So the these minerals are well-regulated. So um, there is a challenge for precision feeding because the most we are close to the requirement or a bit on, under the requirement, the, the pigs will probably adapt to uh, the level and being more efficient. So um, we, this work will be the, the one that we will uh, do in the next uh, swine cluster, we hope, on uh, applying our model on precision feeding, but also in face feeding, because we, we have to think about which pig we will feed. Probably the we will not apply the same way for phosphorus than for nitrogen. Um, so these are the, the next steps. So we work a lot on daily requirement. I think now we have a good uh, model and we then have to apply a, in uh, in the field yeah it'll be interesting to see what you have because it's not like with nitrogen you get some kind of a little bit of an increase in, in efficiency if you undersupply but not really right it's more in the oversupply so yeah. it's interesting that you have the opposite kind of thing with the, the calcium and phosphorus and what kind of it'll be uh, neat to see what the implication of that is assuming we all get the funding to do the <laughs> the, the, the next yeah, yeah. cluster funding but yeah it'd be um pretty interesting yeah. um I know this comes up all the time, especially when, you know, we're talking about um, sow longevity in that. Have you done any work with, you know, the, the phosphorus and calcium requirements in sows and maybe what the implication of uh, loose sow housing is on, on that? Or I've worked on more on, again, phosphorus supply slash requirement in uh, gestating and lactating sows. So we just finished in our new sow facility a precision phosphorus feeding trial. So we we apply the, the daily requirement model um, directly. So these lead to really low phosphorus level at the beginning of the gestation in comparison to uh, North American, that is about uh, the double of these level and European that is intermediate. Um, but one of the challenge with sows uh, and phosphorus, it's in general in swine phosphorus, deficiency will not affect a lot the, the, the growth performance. It will affect the bone. So the animal will be able to, uh, to manage with bone reserve. So in the sows, it's a real challenge. So for that, we have used um, uh, urine, urine catheter to, uh, because the urine, it's a well indicator of the balance between the two minerals that have to be supplied at the fixed ratio and together to be deposited into bone. So uh, we have worked on that to uh, try to 
precise the 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 requirement and of the gestating and lactating sow also for lactating um i have the chance to collaborate with the agroscope in switzerland uh where they have uh dexascan so it's a device that we use a lot so it uh, it's a dual x-ray scan that divide the it will evaluate the mass of the animal it's used for uh, osteoporosis diagnostic in human so it divide the mass in lean fat and bone mineral content so in um, agroscope in switzerland they are able to anesthetize sows and pregnant sows so we are able to follow their bone mineralization so we did some um, trial where we reduce the phosphorus, we put phytase, we have different type of strategy and we look at the bone and the bone depletion during lactation. So we, for the moment, we try to have more data uh, to be able to, uh, to do modeling more precisely for phosphorus as we did for growing pigs. That's what I was thinking of, you know, with the, with the bone strength and that, and that mineralization and everything. And how do we deal with that? Is there, it, could, it, could it potentially be that we need to maybe look more at like guilt development when it comes to that and, and, and maybe setting them up a little bit earlier and not focusing on, you know, the mature sow or, or lactating sow? Yeah, our first results showed that the, um, the sow seems to demineralize the bone uh, independently of the level we give during lactation, there is an hormonal regulation, so they demineralize a little bit. So we have to we have to recover during the next gestation, but um, we are not sure they will always recover. So the for sure one of the strategies really to maximize the bone for uh, the the guilt. Uh, this is. Uh, something that it's we have work on on that aspect also uh, to see what are the level that maximize the bone so you've done work on that or you're going to be doing work on yeah we we have done work on that and we have used uh, especially this depletion repletion strategy so when we reduce during uh, one phase one growing phase the animal will reduce the bone mineralization and they will put uh, some regulation in place to be more efficient to absorb the mineral and also to reabsorb in the kidney. And they are able to recover. And sometimes they, they do better because they, they probably have more born, bone surface to mineralize. So um, this strategy has worked uh, quite well uh, for, for the guilt. And we also realize but we we have to continue on that aspect that in in europe they um they will do a restriction in the guilt and energy restriction and we have shown that this restriction also restrict the bone so they they are they don't they are not able to maximize with this energy restriction uh, so this <laughs> is like something to Sounds like they're yeah. setting themselves up for problems. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is uh, interesting to see. And looking at the, the literature, there is link uh, in women, especially between energy uh, deficiency and um, the bone development. Yeah. And uh, so perhaps there is something to, to be careful with these uh, strategy that but we don't use it a lot in North America, these, um, these the, restriction before the first 
uh, matting, but yeah. there is uh, some country that do this. Yeah. So, so you showed you can have a benefit in the guilt uh, with with the bone mineralization. Is there an indication that there's a long term benefit to that, or does it still they you know they end up going into this loss gain yeah, cycle it's, that they might? It's un- it's ongoing. So yeah. I have a PhD student that work on that aspect. And for the precision feeding in phosphorus, we are in the second cycle. So the one that were precision fed receive really low phosphorus levels. So we are looking at the second uh, parity to see if there is an effect on longevity or, but this needs a lot of cells and time, but uh, <laughs> It, it's something really important. Uh, I agree yeah, with you. That's that's sow research, right? That's I think that's why yeah, it doesn't yeah. <laughs> get done quite a lot because it takes a lot and it's a long time. So, <laughs> you know, we, we've yeah. seen that in, with multiple uh, other hosts too that are doing sow research. It's just, it's so time consuming and expensive, yeah, yeah. and that that you know, it, but it is important information to to get. Um, I know you you indicated a little bit before. Uh, and even though it's a swine podcast, we can get into poultry a little bit, I think, because it's interesting. And you mentioned that there, you know, there are differences between the two species. And one of the things that you said, you know, like that poultry is a little bit behind when it comes to, you know, modeling and they're still based on the empirical and the mechanistic. I think like to me, that seems a little counterintuitive being like that poultry are so dependent on that, especially when you're looking at laying hens. Right. So why why do you think that is that they're. Maybe that we're far, more further ahead, or they're further behind, and it's a good question. I don't really know why um, the the school of modeling, for example, in UC Davis, there is a lot of modeling in ruminant and swine, and the poultry has never start. There is some in Brazil and uh, South uh, Africa that do a bit of modeling. In in broilers, we have almost two genetic that are used over the world. And perhaps it's the, not the pressure, but the genetic company do some work. And finally, the no researcher have been interested in, in modeling, but it's quite easy to do uh, body composition in broilers in comparison to the time it takes and the data we have to, to have in swine. We have more information on protein deposition than in writers in the literature so this is really surprising so it's quite easy to to do to to use the swine approach and apply to to writers but uh, but there is a lot of work to to do on that it does surprise me every time i hear about like a poultry study and they're talking about thousands of birds and i'm like if i could do thousands of pigs it would <laughs> you know I, I i would love that so it's 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 a little bit interesting that you know that they haven't uh adopted some of this given that they would have all this information and ability to to do you yeah. know, the, the the better modeling um i guess when it comes down to it right because then you're you're doing the research in both so are there like key differences that kind of like stand out between the you know swine and poultry when it comes to you know how how we feed them and how they maybe uh, utilize the, the calcium um, phosphorus? They, the the brothers is really sensitive to um, by feed intake. Uh, so phosphorus and calcium don't affect a lot, as I said, the growth performance in, in swine. Uh, you have to be really low uh, for them to adapt. But in brothers, they have a calcium appetite and they also they are also really sensitive to um, Phosphorus, so they they quickly decrease the feed intake in a phosphorus deficiency. Uh, 
um, which we, we don't see this in swine. We are able to demineralize without any effect on protein deposition and to uh, recover the bone and the protein deposition will stay the same. In broilers, they are tightly linked because of the feed intake. So this aspect is a bit um, challenging because predicting feed intake by modeling, it's a, it's a real challenge. So um, this is a, one of the difference we, we see in, uh, in broilers and uh, laying hand. They are also um, more sensitive to the solubility of the mineral in the GI tract, probably because of the time passing in the stomach area. It's really um, short in broilers. So, and the, on the opposite, um, the large intestine is not as developed. So there is some difference on that aspect of pH. So we use this a lot to try to better understand uh, the interaction between phytate and mineral. For example, we compare a lot these two species to to learn more on uh, on the physiology and the. I I, I always it gets, it's interesting to compare, right? Because then it, it yeah, yeah. <laughs> lets you maybe yeah. gives you ideas on what to look at and and how to adjust and you know depending on one, what you find in one species and then work with the other one. So well, it's it's interesting. It was a bit criticized at. And I, I remember when I did my PhD defense, there was a old research researcher that tells that if I have passed all my time to swine uh, research, uh, it will have been a, a really great uh, um, improvement. Uh, the the work that has done in broilers, if I have done this in swine, it will have been really uh, impressive. So, <laughs> but uh, it's <laughs> you don't really trust this species comparison but for us was really interesting and i it's the reason why i continue to to do this focusing on the expertise that i have uh, on mineral especially so uh you you also mentioned you know in your in your introduction that you've been using meta analyses techniques and stuff like that for for uh nutritional sciences so maybe just uh comment and and let our audience know about, you know, what, what are the benefits of, of going that route and, and what that means for, for nutrition moving forward? So, in fact, meta-analysis is a way of combining especially um, published results uh, on the same topic in a, a large database to then redo statistics to study uh, law of response or modulating uh, factors also. So um, it has been mostly developed uh, in human medicine first. The application we have in animal science, it, it's a bit different, but um, there is a lot of advantage. There is also limit. So uh, you have to, to use the data you have. So you have to be careful about the, what you do with the, the model based on the data you have. But these databases are also really interesting to uh, when I review paper, I can go in the, the exhaustive database that I have to see where these points are, or when I do a new trial, I can compare with the literature easily. So, And for students, it's really interesting because they have to go deeper in each paper, uh, sometimes to recalculate the the, um, the amino acid uh, in the same uh, base or the energy. So they, they have to, I use it a lot with students also. I think it's a, it's a good way to 
make them learn the nutrition. Yeah, I think we've been starting to look at that a little bit more in my lab as well. And I, I'm sure the students hate it when, because we just did one where we had to reformulate every diet based on a new calculation. Yeah. And so it was like a lot of yeah. studies, but I think it's not only to show us, you know, what the potential result is, but also give us an idea of where we should be focusing our efforts moving forward. Maybe something yeah. is yeah. not what we thought it was, you know, and, and I think that's mm-hmm. the way, the power of multiple studies to, to find that, right? So um, the, the, the last thing I wanted to ask about, and, and I don't know if the, the listeners know that we ask all our guests if they have something that's potentially controversial <laughs> that, you know, that maybe some people would disagree. So I know you said that, you know, research in, in partnership, and I assume you, you mean with industry partners has become kind of commonplace. And, um, you know, I, the majority of the research is funded by that way. We do appreciate, you know, our industry partners. I want to put that out there. I don't say that we don't want to, but you know, you, you do comment that this might have an impact on on uh, basic research. So maybe just delve a little bit more into that. We're going to be controversial at the end of this uh, podcast, but I think it's an interesting uh, discussion to have. It's really when I compare, I do a lot of research um, in um, with uh, European colleagues in, in different countries and the things are a bit different, so they have more fundamental funding and there is industry funding but it's less important than in North America and when we discuss that sometimes it's controversial but in the end I found it from my point of view really interesting uh, for sure nutrition it's an easy topic for uh, partnership with industry if we compare with welfare or other topics um, but I find it I do it probably in all, most, all my project, and I find it really interesting. And I think we, we are able to manage to do basic research also, uh, so we can answer their question, but we can also measure other things that answer our questions. So I think this is uh, something that I do a lot, and I know that some colleagues, it, it's criticized because our uh, funding have changed a lot, and it really oriented to industry in Canada. But from my point of view, I found it quite interesting and flexible. Yeah, yeah no, it, it definitely has aspect, like both positive and negative aspects to that. But in, yeah. And if you can find that balance, which you know I, I've been able to do as well, where you, you answer that question that the industry has, but then you're still able to, yeah. to delve down a little bit into mechanisms to feed that academic desire, you know, to yeah, know yeah. a little bit yeah. more and to lead to the, lead to the next. But... Yeah, it's uh, definitely it's become more and more that, you know, the funding is coming from industry. And, and um, like, like I said, it, it, it's good for, le- for leading certain, thing, certain things forward, but, it, you know, it could potentially, you know, hinder some research in the future. Yeah, I think we have to be able to, to say no also and to I try to keep the balance to work an enzyme. It's an enzyme. So we can we have to work with everybody also, but I think. No, I'm just <laughs> hopefully we haven't uh, upset people <laughs> with that. But I did think it yeah. was, you know, it's 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 definitely a conversation that's happened more than just here. So I think yeah. it was it was a good one to highlight. 
So uh, we, we are getting into the, the, the end of our time. So before I get into our three uh, other questions that we ask everybody at the end, it just um, ask if, you know, there's one take home, one or two take home messages that, that you'd like the audience to get from, from this podcast today, you know, what would those be? I think the work on precision, I would say precision nutrition, it's really important to continue with all these environmental aspects. Um, and I think we have to not just focus as it's the, um, the trend for the moment on greenhouse gas for our monogastric, the eutrophication and acidification remain really problematic and we have to continue to work on um, these aspects. And I hope that they will be financed uh, also, not just the, the greenhouse gas, that it's a real problem also. And we have, we can do something, uh, but, we we don't have to do this uh, on the and on the other side affecting uh, the the problem we already have. Yeah, I, I hope that granting agencies are listening because <laughs> it's like yeah, it's nice to listen to the, the 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 carbon story, right? But there's more to it, especially of the non-ruminants for for sustainability. Yeah, and all these aspect of I think we have to continue, especially in broilers, to work on reducing the antibiotics. Uh, Finding ways to change the um, the way we we feed the bird and we raise them, we have to rethink everything to try to reduce this aspect. No, definitely. It's time for our famous three. The Nutrition Athena Shakespeare Mill Farmhouse and Nutrition Partners Nutrition Group offer the full range of nutritional product based on extensive research and developments and a solid team of experts all across Canada. Our objective is to provide cost-effective solutions, innovation, and support to producer from the entire Canadian swine industry. So with that, I guess we, we ask all of our, our guests uh, three questions. Um, the same the same three questions. The first one is, is what would be your go-to uh, swine resource or agricultural resource that, you know, you this is something you always pick up when, when you have a question? Um, I think it's feedstuff table. So for the moment, it's the NRC 2012 that is the more um, up to date. So uh, I use them a lot for meta-analysis and for, for also every information, but uh, I have always closed the, these uh, <laughs> Yeah, these books. Yeah, no, yeah, it's a common one, especially in nutrition. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I guess sw- switching gears again, uh, then what would be your like favorite non-agricultural based uh, book? Or so this could be, you know, anything that you. That, yeah, uh, I would say uh, cookbook. So when I uh, this is one things that I do a lot, or uh, some trailer uh, when I'm in vacation especially but uh, i don't uh, read a lot uh, but, uh perhaps uh, some french um book uh, jean christophe granger that do a lot of thriller and so i like this uh, this author yeah so. no this uh good and and i so our last one is um if you go and you think back at like successful swine professionals or leaders or, or whatever, like what what is a characteristic that they have that kind of leads to that success versus somebody that might not be uh, as successful? 
they are the ones that are able to adapt to the public, being able to talk to industry and understand industry because they are close, but they are able also to talk to scientists and to so the one that adapt their their talk easily. I think they have success on founding and have an impact on in the field and also in the in science. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. Adapting to the need, but and then having that dual kind of uh, application. Yeah, right? I think we and have that, to. Uh, yeah. <laughs> which, which you know, that, that I mean, that leads back to that discussion that we were having on granting and where where the money comes from, right? And being able to have yeah. that. You know, I think that's very good. Well, um, so that brings us to the end. Uh, I thank you again for agreeing to come on, and and hopefully the audience enjoys and gets something out of the the podcast today. And I guess. Maybe potentially have you on in the future when you get some more precision feeding stuff done and, and more with the, the next cluster, hopefully. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but just uh, thank you again for coming and thanks to everyone for listening. <laughs>